are in the final chapter of 1 John, and it's been a little bit of a rough road. Um, I don't know if it's because John is elderly at this point, like Pastor Mark was pointing out last week, or after all he had been through, but he's just not sugar candy coating anything. He's telling us the things that we need to hear and things that believers should be trying to attain. So we're going to start, and a lot of this book, as, as, as we mentioned last week, a lot of this book is trying to combat false teaching. We have um, people, uh, probably men because of the, the time period it was, that were going around to different home churches, and they were telling lies and spreading false doctrine and false teaching. And so the aged apostle, and we do know that he is the last living disciple that was an eyewitness of Jesus who walked with Jesus, touched Jesus, ate with Jesus. So what he has to say about the Son of God is important. And so he's writing to these small home churches and churches around the area, and he's letting them know some things that they need to know to have assurance of their salvation. So we're going to start reading. And we are just going to comment on the reading. I love when we teach like this because we are reading the word of God just word for word. And we don't have to add a lot. His word brings everything that we need. But we're going to stop and um, explain a few things. So, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is. This is what love for God is, to keep his commands. So we are three verses into this chapter, and we've already hit a snag. And that snag is something that I hear a lot something that, to my shame, I've said in the past, and that is, I love, God, I love you. God, I love you. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus, but I don't like your children. I don't like the church. I don't like people in the church. I think they're hypocrites. I think they're, I think they're gossips. I think they're fill in the blank. And what the apostle is trying to tell us here is, it's like, it's like this piece of paper. This is one, one page, right? But there's two parts to this. You can't separate them. On one side, he's saying, if you love God, keep my commands. And on the other side, it says, you need to love the children that are also my sons and daughters like you are. And that's really hard to do. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to do it. But if I were going to say, have you ever uttered the words, I, I don't, I don't, God, I love you. I am faithful. I want to serve you. But I don't like your church. I don't like some of the people that, are, that claim to be your children. I don't like that. And uh, the apostle is saying, we can't, that's, we can't have it that way. If we say we love God, that we have to obey God. And one of his commands is to love our brothers and sisters. And it's easy to get wounded. 
is, let me tell you, right? Getting, being raised in a pastor's home, it is real easy to be wounded. And because I was wounded, it's real easy to wound other people, to strike out. And it's easy to start thinking, uh, to nurse those wounds and to rehearse those words. It's really easy. And because so many other people do it too, we can usually find a sympathetic ear. We can usually find someone that agrees with us. The apostle is telling the believers, we can't do this. This is not, this is not what it comes, it, it is to be beloved children. So, one of the dangers of being out of fellowship like this is we start to think that it's okay because we can find people that agree with us. We start to think that God agrees with us, that it's okay with God if we have um, distaste and disdain for the brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he's, so he's telling us that the genuineness of our faith, the genuineness of our love for God is shown by how we love the person sitting to the left of you and the person sitting to the right of you. And sometimes that's really difficult to do. His commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. Have you ever been in a, a restaurant bathroom? <sighs> Ladies, I guess guys. <laughs> and you hear the person in the next stall or the next door and they're on their cell phone. And you can hear their conversation and you're you know, not trying to eavesdrop. But you really can't help it. There's nowhere to go, right? You're, you're stuck there. So you can only hear one side of the conversation, right? So you're left to imagine what, what, what question was asked, what subject was brought up. And that's kind of like what's happening here. When we read words like this, the way that John writes, it's, it's like he repeats himself over and over. It's like he's really trying hard to make a point. And we're thinking, what? Why, why is he bringing this up to those, to those of us reading in the 21st century? But John is specifically saying these words for a specific reason. Because there are men that have come into their fellowship. Now remember, this is just decades after Jesus has, has, has gone to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. But there is no Bible at this time. Obviously, we just assumed that, that everyone's always had a Bible, but there, was, there were no letters written to the churches. They were just, at this point, it was word of mouth. Hey, I saw, I was there, I walked with him, and you tell that story to your children, and they tell that story to their children. And so it's word of mouth, and so it's very, very easy to have a false doctrine, to have, start believing things that aren't true about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so what the apostle finds out, what John finds out is 
there are, are men that are going around to these home churches, these places where people gather in Jesus' name, and they're, they're saying false things about Jesus. And it's, it's, it's very important, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but they're saying things like, Jesus was not born of a virgin, and Jesus was not God when he was born. He was Joe Carpenter for the first 30 years. And then when Jesus goes and gets baptized in the River Jordan and something like the Spirit of Christ comes on him, now he's divine, but he's only divine for three years. And once he's on the cross, that Christ Spirit leaves him. And when he dies, when he gives up his natural spirit, he is, he's only a man. And they're going around, they're sowing these, these seeds, these words in people's lives. And the, the apostles say, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ, th these three are in agreement. He was God. He was God from birth. He was God through his life. And he was God when he died. And the reason that's important is because if Jesus was born just a man, his life would be sinful. His life would be just like mine, just like yours. If he died as a man, his death would be just like other people's death. His death would not be the sacrifice that God said, I accept that as the sacrifice for your sins, Crystal. I accept that as a sacrifice for your sins, Claire. I accept that as a sacrifice for your sins, Jason. That wouldn't have happened because Jesus would not have been able to fulfill what the Old Testament said about him. So these men are going around and lying and they're sowing seeds that create not only division and confusion, but they're keeping people from knowing how to be sure of their salvation, knowing how to actually become a child of God. And that's not okay with this aged apostle. So it's like someone going around in your small group you have on the week, whatever night you meet, someone comes into your small group and they start saying, you know, Jesus wasn't really God when he was born. That, that, that part's not true because we have secret knowledge. They were Gnostics and that was the false teaching. We have secret knowledge and only we know the different levels that you have to attain to get to God. And they were sowing these things. And so the apostle is writing in such a way to say, no, this is the truth. This is what we have. I saw it. I saw him. I saw him live. I saw him die. I saw him ascend into heaven. Listen to me. So this is what he's doing here. If he goes on. If we accept human testimony, you know, in court, we accept eyewitness testimony. We understand what he's saying here. God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He's saying, little children, the one who has the son has eternal life. 
the one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. So he's saying here, and he wants this news to go out through all the churches, to all the homes where they're meeting. He's saying you can't just kind of believe what God has said about himself and his son. You can't just kind of believe it. You can't take pieces and portions of it. You can't cut and paste certain parts because you don't understand it or you don't believe it or you find this information uncomfortable. You can't cut and paste it because if you try to do that, like these false teachers were doing, then you are calling God a liar because God has said, this is what I want you to know about my son. In him, there is eternal life. In him alone. And so the, Paul, um, John is saying, I need you to know this because if you take pieces or parts, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, and, and this, this does hit home because I've talked to many people, many people who say, I just, I can't really get my, wrap my head around the virgin birth. I just can't, I don't understand it. So I don't, I'm just going to put that to the side. I'm not going to really believe that, but I'll believe all the other stuff. Or I can't believe that one person dying, the son of God, takes care of the sin for the whole world. If they, I, I just can't wrap my head around it. And John is saying here, you know what? If you're not believing the words that God is saying, you're calling him a liar. And that's hard for us to understand because we're like, well, aren't we supposed to search? Aren't we supposed to, aren't we allowed to? But the truth is, I can lie. I can tell the truth, but I can also lie. I have lied. Like to dress it up, go, oh, well, they couldn't stand, you know, they couldn't handle it if I told them the whole. And you can tell the truth. And you can lie. But what we have to understand, what he is wanting us to know here is God cannot lie. It's impossible. He cannot lie. He is truth. And so when you say something that God has said, you say, I don't really believe that. I don't know about that. Let me, I got to think about that. I don't really think that's true. He's saying you're calling God a liar. Let's keep going. I have written these things to you, little children, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before him. He's saying, listen to me, believe me, because this will give you confidence. This will give you assurance. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we have asked of him. He's saying, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Sometimes when you, I don't know if you've ever asked someone, how do you know that, that, that what you believe is true? How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know that, how do you know? And I, like I said, I don't know about you, but I've had people tell me some really strange things. But always, 
it's always centered around something about them. Well, I have, I have my days of doubt, or I can't be sure because, I, you know, I, I did a bad thing last night, or, you know, because of what happened to my uncle, whatever. It's always the doubt comes from a person. And the apostle is saying, look, you, the, we have assurance because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's why we have assurance, because Jesus doesn't change. What he did on the cross doesn't change. That fact, that transaction that he made on Calvary will not change. And that is why I can be assured I have eternal life, because I believe that. I have asked for that sacrifice that he made to, to, to cover over my sin, past and present. And that fact, that transaction is what gives me confidence. He is writing saying, look, I know people are going to come and say all kinds of crazy things, but you as believers need to have assurance, confidence that you are born again, that you are in Christ, that Christ calls you a child. And let me tell you something, that confidence, that assurance that you belong to God, and that God will never leave you and never forsake you, that assurance that he has a place for you when God calls you home, that produces joy. That produces, I'm not saying happiness, which is something that's elusive and you can't define it. I'm saying joy, the fruit of God's spirit, deep joy. He's like, children, I want you to have that assurance. I want you to know when you go to bed tonight, I am secure in God. And that's only if we believe in what Jesus did. Not how I feel. Not what was done to me. Not what I did. But the transaction that Jesus made. Are you all with me so far? Are you with me? Are you all awake? We don't have to do jumping jacks or anything, do we? Okay. We've got <laughs> Let's see it over there. The pastors are giving me trouble over there. We've got one more part of scripture that's a little bit difficult. So I wanted to save some time for this. <clears throat> Pass this over here so I don't lose my place. I don't want to go longer. Here we go. Take a deep breath. Here we go. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death... He should ask God. God will give him life. God will give life to him. To those that commit sin that doesn't lead to death. Now he's making a point and he's overly making the point. There is a sin that leads to death. Whoa. Uh-oh. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin that doesn't lead to death. And we're going to talk about that for just a little bit. I'll tell you what the different thoughts are about that. Finish this part. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under sway of the evil one. I told you this is it. This is a tough chapter. Okay, so he's saying there's a sin. I want you to pray for people that, if you see, now remember, 
Remember, this is important. He's writing to believers. This is, he's not writing to unsaved people. This is a letter to Christians. This is a letter to people that, that believe in Jesus. So that's, the, that's an important part to remember. But he's saying, so if you see your sister and she's caught up in a sin, you need to pray for her. You need to pray for her so that she'll come to her senses. You know, like the prodigal son, that she'll wake up or that he'll wake up and realize, okay, I need to stop this. And the Holy Spirit, of course, helps us with that. He, he, he gently tells us when we're doing, but then he's saying, I want to go back because I don't want to mess up my, but there is a sin that people do that leads to death. Now, what could he possibly be talking about? We're just going to talk about that quickly and then we're going to close. There are three thoughts about that. None of them originated with me, by the way. So <laughs> theologians from whatever. The first thought is the sin that leads to death. Now, remember, he's talking to Christians. And he said earlier um, that we know that we have passed from life unto death. So I don't think he's talking about uh, spiritual death here. But the first one is the natural progression of what this means. What is the sin that leads to death? How does it, how does, can a Christian do that? So John is saying here, he doesn't believe that this person is a Christian. He doesn't believe, he believes that the false teachers that have come in, they've seen the work of God. They've seen They've heard the testimony of Jesus. They've heard about the atonement. And in their light, with full knowledge, with full understanding, they're choosing the darkness. They're choosing to believe a lie. They're choosing that. So that's one, that's one school of thought, which is good. Then someone else says, no, the sin that leads to death, that's, remember Jesus was talking about the unpardonable sin. There's a sin that won't be forgiven. And that's, of course, blaspheming, disrespecting the Holy Spirit. So some people say, some theologians say, okay, he's talking about that. And then the one that I kind of think it is, although any one of these would lead you to the same place, which is we need to watch our faith and our doctrine closely, right? There's the thought that is that the sin doesn't lead. They're, they're Christians. They're believers. So they're going to go to heaven no matter what. But there's some scriptural examples that say sometimes for God's own reasons and God's own judgment, he just removes someone from the earth. We'll throw those very, very quickly and then we're going to close. We talked about those. There's a couple of examples. We'll use the Old Testament one, but everybody always goes, oh, it's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us. But that's what happened to Moses. Nobody disagrees that Moses was a hero of the faith. And we are going to be seeing Moses in heaven, right? We're going to talk to him. We're going to ask him questions. But God said, and we won't look it up because of time, but God told him, look, I want you to go up on this mountain and I want you to look over into the land of Canaan. That's where Joshua is going to take the people that you've been leading all these years. But you, Moses, are not going to see it. You will die on this mountain. And why did God say he was going to die? Because he disrespected 
God in front of the nation of Israel and Aaron as well, but Aaron had already died. So that's one example, Old Testament. So you think, well, that doesn't count. The next one is Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember the story? Some of you might remember it, some of you won't. But there's nothing in this account that, that suggests these weren't believers. They were among the believers. And, and they were supposed to, you know, they, some people said, we're going to sell our property and we're going to bring what we got and we're going to give it to God. It's fine. The disciples never said, give us X amount. They just said, give whatever you want. Well, this husband and wife conspired. They said, we're going to sell it for X amount, but we're only going to bring this amount. And we're going to say that we got something else. And they agreed together. They came in to where the apostles were and they were collecting the money so that they could give it to the poor and to the widows. And here comes Ananias. He gives the sum, which hadn't been asked for. He could have kept, he could have kept it all and just given a little bit. That, that, was, that was between him and God. But he chose to lie about the amount that he gave. Paul said, why? Uh, Peter said, why are you... You're not lying to us. You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. And this man dropped dead right in the middle of the... When his wife was home, I guess, baking bread or something. She's looking for her husband. Honey, you didn't take out the garbage, so she's going to go get him. She walks in. Peter says, did you, did you sell this field for this amount of money? Now, at that point, she could have said, no, no, no. We just wanted to appear better than we were. She could have told the truth at that point. No, she lied. She said, yep. He goes, why are you testing the Holy Spirit? The same men that buried your husband are coming in and they will bury you. And she dropped it. And then there's one more, which we don't have time to go into. And Paul's saying, you know what? And to the Corinthians, he's saying, look, you people at this communion, you're, you're disrespecting each other. You're, you're taking communion unworthily. And because of that, some of you are sick. Because of that, some of you have died. So some people think, some theologians think this is what it's referring to when he says, if a person is, has sinned unto death and there's really nothing that you can do, don't. So John is saying, little children, beloved, I want you to know. I want you to know that you're saved, and I want you to know how you're saved. For I know whom I have believed. Would you stand with me, please? And I am persuaded that he is able. I know whom I have believed. Salvation isn't about how your life is going. Just think about that for a moment. Salvation isn't about how your life is going. You can't base your salvation on how you feel this month because all the bills are paid and we got a raise or how you feel next month because your child is sick. Your car broke down. You can't base it on that. It's not about you. Salvation is about Him and who he is. And doesn't that make you feel like shouting? Doesn't that make you feel so good because it doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on me. It depends on what he has already done and offered freely to me and to you. 
So I thank God for that. And I, I, I want to make sure that everyone here who says I'm a Christian has that assurance, knows in their heart, if I, if I go to be with God tonight, if I go meet my relatives in heaven tonight, I know, I know, I know where I'm gonna go. And that assurance, the elderly apostle said, can be every Christian's assurance. So we're gonna continue what Pastor Jared started. If there's anyone here, I'm gonna have Pastor Peter come out. If there's anyone that thinks, I keep basing it on what I've done. I keep basing it on what I haven't done. I keep basing it on how I feel. I keep basing it on, I'm not basing it on the truth, which is Jesus Christ crucified, dying for your sins. Paul says, little children, be assured have that assurance that you know, that you know, that you know, so joy can spring up inside you. Joy can be stirred in your life. It can spill out. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So if there's anyone here, just wait, we're gonna close our eyes, just raise your hand. I'm gonna have Pastor Peter come and pray. Just raise your hand so that you can know that you know, that you know, that you know. Thanks, Dr. Crystal. Sometimes I'm really glad that the early church was this screwed up because then John wouldn't have had to have written about these things. Father, we know fine well that we are in the same company of the early believers ourselves where oftentimes we can be confused or we can be trapped into the present day's cultural thinking and that we're, our thinking of what is true and what is right is shaped by what the culture is saying and not what our Father is saying. So right now, we want to start by repenting. We're saying we're sorry for listening to too many other sources, to too many other reports about what truth is, rather than measuring everything against what you have said about who you are, who your Son is, and who we are. So today we're asking through the power of the Spirit that you would give us a deeper revelation of who Jesus is so we can live the life that he came to demonstrate to us, that he actually gave to us as well. Help us to live that life in power because we don't want to be powerless Christians. We want to be confident, assured, and powerful Christians who use the gospel of Jesus Christ to see people's lives changed for eternity, to be put into relationship with the Heavenly Father. We ask this in your precious Son's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.